Thank you very much, Irene. Live today with today's strength. Don't use today's strength for tomorrow. God's grace for today is sufficient. A boy named John, seven-year-old, who likes to be with his dad and attempts to imitate his dad. And as you observe John, if you're kind of observing him when no one is noticing or he's not noticing, you will see that he attempts to do what his dad does. He attempts to follow in his dad's footsteps, literally, know when his dad is walking. You can see him look at his dad with a degree of pride. Like, you know, I want to be like dad. Because he simply desires to follow his dad. Wants to have the same characteristics and same qualities as dad. I need a volunteer, and before you volunteer, I better explain what I will do to you if you volunteer. This is black shoe polish. And in order that you can be identified with Roaring Brook Baptist Church that you attended this morning, if you're willing to volunteer, I will put some black shoe polish across your forehead, down either side of your face, and the stipulation is that you may not wash your face for the next couple of days. Any takers? No one wants to be a follower. Now, I intentionally use something like shoe polish. You're going to, Jason? No, I just want to stipulate that you were a follower. Okay, that applies to someone else's perspective. Okay, I'll do No comment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's go to Mark 8. <laughs> but think about a child, a boy desiring to follow dad, someone being willing to be identified with us, you know, with shoe polish and so on, besides what Jason said. In the context of <clears throat> Jesus asking his disciples, the 12, who he was, we find that Peter responds and he says, You are the Christ. And then he began to teach them, you know, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the chief priest, teachers of the law. He's going to be killed. He's going to rise from the dead. And then we know that Peter rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter. We'll read verses 31 of chapter 8 through chapter 9 and verse 1. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Forever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. 
What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this idolatrous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus, after rebuking Peter, says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone chooses to come after me, let him deny himself. Stop placing self at center. Stop living according to the way self might, might want. Deny self. And then he says, take up his cross. Pick up his cross. Modern culture is exposed to the symbol of the cross, primarily in jewelry and figures of speech. You know, burying a cross, putting up with an inconvenience or hardship. How vastly different was the symbol of the cross in the first century? An image of extreme suffering. The cross was an instrument of cruelty, pain, dehumanization, and shame. The cross indicated Roman oppression and was reserved for the lowest social class. It was the most visible and omnipresent aspect of Roman's terror apparatus, designed especially to punish criminals and squash slave rebellions. In 71 BC, the Roman general Crassus defeated the slave rebellion Spartacus and crucified him and 6,000 of his followers. A century later, in Mark's day, Nero would crucify and burn Christians who were falsely accused of setting fire to Rome. The image of the cross signifies a total claim of the disciples' allegiance and total relinquishment of his resources to Jesus. In Mark's day, that was not merely a theoretical truth, for the Gospel of Mark was probably written to the believers in Rome near the time of Nero's crucifixion of Christians. Jesus called to self-denial and suffering by the use of this image, would remind Mark's community, the believers in Rome, that their adversity under Nero was not a sign of God's abandonment, but rather of their identification and faithfulness to the way of Jesus himself. Now we'll repeat that last sentence. Jesus called to self-denial and suffering by the use of the image, that is the cross, would remind Mark's community, the Roman believers, that their adversity under Nero was not a sign of God's abandonment, but rather of their identification with and faithfulness to the way of Jesus himself. Jesus says, take up 
the cross. The cross in the context is not physical sufferings. The cross is not relational conflicts. The cross is not financial hardships that we face in day-by-day living. All people go through them, whether believers or unbelievers. We're not talking about the daily routine of trials and sufferings and relational conflicts that people face. Rather, when Jesus says, take up the cross, it ties in with that which comes specifically from walking in Christ as our life, embracing his life. Taking up the cross, taking up the difficulty of the suffering as the Roman believers would face because of their identification with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a disdain because we're embracing the narrow way of the cross. There's only one way to a relationship with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. The cross, living out business and sexual ethics of Christ in the marketplace in the world, even if it costs your job or costs a friendship. Embracing weakness instead of power. Our world worships power. Christ talks about humility. He talks about meekness. It's a total relinquishment of one's resources to Jesus. It's a willingness to suffer to follow Christ. It's accepting suffering as perhaps more normal in in following Christ than anything else. Taking up the cross is not using Christ to escape hell and to get to heaven or to get help when you need it. See, when Jesus is talking to the 12, he's saying, deny yourself, take up the cross. Turn to Mark 9, verses 33 through 37. Mark 9, 33 through 37. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the, way, on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. We humans like to argue about who is the greatest. We have political elections, and what happens? I'm better than my opponent. My brothers and I used to wrestle some because we wanted to demonstrate that we were greater. And here we have the 12 apparently had been arguing about who's the greatest. Setting them down in verse 35, Jesus called the 12 and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Take up your cross. Disciples, this is not about power. This is about service. In Mark 10, 35 through 45, we won't read the entire passage, but in verse 35 of Mark 10, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, "We we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. 
They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Two of the disciples come and said, let one sit at right, one at left. How about the other ten? They didn't come and say, oh, can disciple so-and-so sit on your right and another one on your left? We, won't, we don't want that position. And Jesus goes on in the text and calls them that if you're going to be great, you have to become a servant. Take up the cross. In John chapter 13, we won't turn there, but we find that Jesus at the Last Supper washed the disciples' feet. He became a servant. Taking up the cross for the twelve would be accepting the reality of difficulty due to proclaiming Christ as the only way to God. In proclaiming that, we know that 11 of them died a difficult death. Peter was the one who was going to be crucified, and he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified as Christ, as we would be told. So he was crucified upside down. John, the only disciple who would have apparently died a natural death, take up my cross. Now, as you think about Christ and proclaiming Christ as the only way, that does create conflict in our culture today. On August 21st, 2002, Phil Donahue had on his program, Rabbi Boteach, author of Judaism for Everyone. He had Albert Moeller, president of South Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He had Dr. Michael Brown, president of ICN, Israel, the Church, and Nations Ministry. Donahue to Mahler. Do you believe that Jews can go to heaven? Mahler's response. Southern Baptists with other Christians believe that all persons can go to heaven who come to faith in the Lord Jesus, and that there is no discrimination on the basis of ethnic or racial or national issues. Donahue. You cannot possibly look at a person in the eye and say, if you don't come to Jesus, if you don't change your faith, you're not going to go to heaven. Reeks of prejudice and also stirs the soul to evil behavior, in my opinion. Boteach. Reverend Muller, however intelligent of a scholar he may be, is a spiritual Neanderthal with repulsive, revolting ideas. Donahue, I respect your religion, Reverend Muller if you respect mine, but please don't tell me you know what's good for me. That's arrogant. Mahler, well, all I know is that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, and that all who, have, all who are there come by his grace and mercy alone. There is nothing in us to merit salvation, and so humility has to be the Christian posture. Donahue, there's nothing humble about telling me I'm not going to heaven. If I don't believe in Jesus, that's not humility. That's arrogance. Take up the cross. For the 12, it was costly. For us today, it may be costly when you say, Jesus, 
is the way to the Father. As Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The cross may involve accepting the reality of being laughed at due to your views on work, sexuality, or marriage, or your desire to be with your parents, or in relationships, a desire to be forgiving. So you're a teenager and you're out with some other teens and they get to talking about sexuality and they talk about, you know, living together and so on. And you say, well, I think Scripture says, well, I don't think I know Scripture says that sexual union is to be saved from marriage. (laughs) You grew up in the dark ages. I don't want to hang around you. Or a teenager saying to another teen, I'm not going to go with the gang tonight because I want to hang out with mom and dad tonight. You want to be with your parents? Yeah, the Bible talks about that. Taking up the cross. Accepting being misunderstood due to embracing trials rather than running from them. See, the world at large, by nature, we want to escape trials Paul says in Romans 5 and James says in James 1 that we're to rejoice in our difficulties. That's taking up a cross in the sense that that's not the norm. It's pursuing humility and gentleness rather than power. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, Paul talks about the relationship that we have with God through Christ. Talks about all that we have in Christ. And in verse 1 he says of chapter 4, I urge you then to walk worthy of your calling. And the first thing he says is to be completely humble. It may mean mean pursuing holiness rather than happiness. Oh, I just want to be happy. Taking up the cross, I want to be holy. Because Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, be holy. For God says, be holy as I am holy through Peter. Taking up the cross, content with with basics rather than pursuing more, whatever more may be. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And the world says, ah, you don't have much and you're not pursuing much. I'm just content. Taking up the cross is admitting wrong and seeking forgiveness rather than I'm right and becoming defensive. If you think about the political world, and the political world has a lot of play in our world today, but the political scene in the United States, politicians would save themselves a lot of trouble if when they were wrong, they would just say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. That's not the way the world lives. And how many situations would be saved within marriages and within families if a dad or a mom or a husband or a wife or children would say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's not the way the world lives. Take up your cross. Taking up the cross is talking to people about Jesus as the only way to God. 
There are many ways to God. Jesus says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in circles today, you'll take some flack. Many times, if you say, you know, Jesus is the only way to the Father. Taking up the cross, a willingness to live with that. Taking up the cross, admitting, I can't handle life. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come on to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I can't live the Christian life. I can't forgive. I can't be kind to my enemy. Christ's life lived in and through us. Taking up the cross is a willingness to suffer because of Christ. For you men, when was the last time you suffered by admitting you were wrong and asking your wife's forgiveness? You say, men don't do that. Men who take up the cross of Christ are willing to do that. Willingness to suffer, deny self. As a father, those of us who are fathers, do we admit that we don't always respond correctly to our children and then take up the cross and humbly correct something? For those of you who are children and living at home, teenagers living at home, you get into a conversation with some friends and the friends are saying about, you know, how they kind of order mom and dad around. They kind of got mom and dad wrapped around their little finger and just trying to manipulate them. And you say, uh, I just want you to know that's not the way it happens in our home. I want to obey mom and dad. I want to respect mom and dad. <laughs> I'm done hanging around with you because I don't want any of that to rub off on me. Taking up the cross, a willingness to carry that. The biblical view of taking up one's cross seems to be foreign to professing believers today because we live in a world in the U.S. that, that seems to be foreign. But as we grasp Christ, who he is in his character, in his identity, in his being, when Jesus says... If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's an invitation to be willing to suffer, to be identified with Jesus Christ. Whatever form that suffering may involve. And sometimes the suffering is humility. <laughs> and brokenness. Other times it may be rejection because the world at large lives differently 
Jesus doesn't command anyone to follow. He just says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you desire to take up your cross? Let's sing together about the cross of Christ as Travis comes to lead us.